wants to walk with Elias? Alright everybody, welcome to the podcast. If you're watching us today, happy Halloween. Uh, if you're not, a belated happy Halloween. Um, so we'll get started. Uh, there's an interesting article on the 28th where we left off from the last podcast uh, from the LA Times uh, talking about the connection between uh, your diet and cancer uh, pointing to sugar and carbs. Uh, so a really interesting article there uh, in the LA Times. Again, if you're really interested, you want to check that out, check out twitter.com slash thejohndnewton to see that. And, you know, I was watching something recently uh, that involved uh, kind of like a flashback to uh, Gary Coleman uh, back when he was a security guard. And the funny thing is, is like I never really thought about it back then, but it was weird how everybody was making fun of him when he was just trying to make money for food, you know, and, and just to make a living. Um, you know, if you think about it, nobody else would be making fun of anybody else uh, you know, doing that type of job, um, it was a very strange time, it was very weird to see how people responded to Gary Coleman, uh, working as a security guard, security guard, um, really crazy situation, but I'd totally forgotten about that, and how people, you know, responded to that was really strange. Uh, Billionaire Mindset had a good tweet, they said, if it doesn't open, it's not your door. And this episode will be very heavy on the World Series. It will be very heavy on um, Donald Trump and the Mueller investigation and, you know, that type of thing. So really two major, major things to talk about for this podcast. Um, so I couldn't wait to get this one going. Um, the World Series, uh, John Morosi tweeted out uh, after the 29th, will end at Dodger Stadium for the first time since 1963 when Sandy Koufax won the clincher. Um, so I haven't really talked too much about the World Series in this podcast for a reason. Number one, the start time at 8 o'clock I think is too late. Yes, I think it's too late. Um, because the games do go on um, at least past midnight most of the time. And it's not because the game is slow. It's because the game is slower. Um, and what I mean by that is both teams and every team in the playoffs um, tend to use their bullpen now way more than they ever used to. The last couple of years now, we've seen this switch, this change in baseball where all of a sudden the bullpen is, you know, you might see a different relief pitcher for each batter. Um, you know, it, it's become so crazy and it's slowed down the game so much that you're looking at games starting at 8 and ending at like 1.30 in the morning, uh, which is exactly what happened uh, in that last World Series game. Uh, so I think, you know, even though you've got two West Coast teams like Houston and Los Angeles in the World Series, I really do think it would be in Major League Baseball's best interest, especially for younger fans uh, and just people that work, uh, if they started the games maybe at 7 I don't know if that's asking too much, but like the bullpens are slowing down the game 
in a big way and it's it's really forced people you know if they do want to see the world series to either dvr it or you know stay up late and risk going to work exhausted um you know i think it would be better if uh they were able to figure out a way to start the games at 7 or seven thirty. because let's be honest the start time at eight o'clock for the world series is not the real start time you've got the opening ceremony type situation the you know the first pitch all that stuff the game doesn't really start until 8 30 at best um you know so the other reason why i haven't really talked too much about this world series in addition to not really being able to see that much of it live i've mostly been watching the highlights of it because it's been on so late um well there's a few reasons number one it's been on late but i have been watching it somewhat live uh, as much as possible you know I've been watching scoreless innings um, and then going to bed and then waking up and seeing oh you know you should have seen extra innings you should have seen what happened in the eighth and ninth inning um, you know the games are going on so long that I just don't have the energy to stay f stay up for it and especially when it's like scoreless innings you know it's kind of like uh, I don't know, it, it, it's kind of like uh, double the poison, if you will. Like, it just, it, it, you just, you get exhausted watching scoreless innings, especially when, you know, I'll be honest, Houston versus Los Angeles, I don't think is the ideal World Series matchup that everybody was looking for. I think what everybody was looking for, what Major League Baseball would have been drooling over would have been if it was the Yankees versus the Dodgers um, you know the history between those two teams uh, just the history of both of those teams uh, it would have had a much better feel to it uh, don't get me wrong you know the Astros are a great story they've they've for years put together this really young core of players uh, Sports Illustrated years ago said that they were going to win the World Series this year they're one game away um, so that could be a really good prediction for Sports Illustrated um, you know, you've got what happened in Houston uh, with the Hurricanes. So, you know, there's a storyline there for the Houston Astros, but that doesn't necessarily mean that there's as much interest for whatever reason. There, there's something about that team that just doesn't really capture, I think, most people's imaginations. I can't really put my finger on it, but there's something about that team that just doesn't quite do it. And I think the ratings will probably show that. Um, from what I've seen about the ratings, other than the Houston and LA markets, the ratings for the World Series have been pretty poor. Um, I'm not surprised by that. Um, I think there's a number of reasons for that. I think the team's involved. I think the fact that, you know, you've had so many scoreless innings. Um, I think the fact that most of the action is happening so late at night that everybody's asleep. Um, you know, so it's been a really weird World Series, not to mention the fact the accusations of the balls being juiced, uh, which is resulting in all of these home runs. It's resulting in, um, you know, uh, these records being broken. Um, it would be kind of like if the NHL had a Stanley Cup final where they decided, oh, you know what, we're going to play with bigger nets, smaller goalie equipment to break records. Like, it doesn't really make sense, and I hope that's not what's happening, but uh, every everything seems to be pointing that way and it would seem to make sense based on what we're seeing um, 
kind of disappointing for Major League Baseball to be doing that, in my opinion. Um, but switching over to WWE for a second, uh, some shocking news the other day about the WWE coming to terms on the release of Emma. Um, I was really shocked by that. Um, I, I, I was even tweeted, I said, you know, that sucks. I hope Emma does well with whatever she does next. Uh, very underutilized, in my opinion. And I, I think that's true. I know she was away for a while. She came back. I think she had some really good promos, especially for the women's division right now, which seems to be rather stale, especially on Raw. You know, you've got Alexa Bliss, you've got Bailey, you've got um, the boss, Sasha Banks, uh, Nia Jax, you know, but how many combinations of those matches can you have, you know? Um, it was interesting to have Emma in that mix, and I know, you know, she had some matches recently um, before she was released um, where she didn't, you know, the matches didn't look great, you know, um, but I wonder how much of that is on Emma, and how much is that, how much of that is on um, the Empress of Tomorrow, uh, Asuka. You know, I I think that Asuka is getting an awful lot of promotion, but every time I see her matches, I don't really see what everybody else sees in her. Um, you know, she lacks obviously English skills, which I think hurts her. Um, her charisma, I think, is average at best. Um, and her wrestling skills, every wrestling match I've seen her in, and I haven't watched all of her matches, I'll be honest, but every match that I've seen her in, including the ones against Emma, she has not looked great. Um, and it seems like the WWE is pointing the finger at Emma here, which I think isn't really fair. Um, you know, and needless to say, you know, Emma had a great look to her, to say the least. She was a very beautiful superstar. Um, you know, so to lose that, I think, is costly for the WWE. You know, they, they've put a lot of emphasis on the wrestling ability, and, um, you know, that's you've got Sasha Banks and the Baileys of the world. Um, you know, I, I don't know if they have enough superstars, women superstars, that have the look and the appeal that Emma had. Um, and, you know, to me, I, I think it's more of a loss to the WWE than it is for Emma. I think she's going to do well with whatever she does. Um, you know, I, I just think it's a very weird, questionable move by the WWE, but, you know, we'll see what happens with that. Uh, Billionaire Mindset tweeted out, a successful man is one who can lay a firm foundation with the bricks others have thrown at him. I thought that that was a brilliant tweet. I had to share that on the podcast. Um, then there was this, Jeff Goldblum noticing that the person that was interviewing him had a Brizongo Fashion Patrol shirt. Brizongo Fashion Patrol? Yes, Dango, Tyler. It's a wrestling thing. Oh, really? Yeah, that's what I also do aside from, uh, from movie stuff. You wrestle? No, 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 I report on it. You report on wrestling. Yes. Where does wrestling go on in in the United States? I uh, know, all over the world now. It's it a huge scene in the UK. Really? Yeah, huge scene in the UK. No kidding. Yeah, yeah, it's great. I'll be darned. <laughs> Support wrestle talk. So I thought that was pretty funny, um, random but funny. Um, 
then of course the WWE also did some other releases. One of them was Darren Young. Um, Justin Henry tweeted out with Darren Young gone. There's only one original Nexus member of the eight still wrestling in the WWE. He truly is just one man. <laughs> so I thought that was pretty good. Um, Billionaire Mindset also tweeted out, Winners are not afraid of losing, but losers are. Failure is part of the process of success. People who avoid failure also avoid success. Uh, then Matthew tweeted out a new Botchamania, Botchamania 354. I highly recommend checking it out. Uh, the link is on twitter.com slash thejohndnewton. Very funny episode. Then there was this video, um, which I thought was pretty good, uh, based on uh, Mueller dropping some indictments on uh, some people within the Trump administration the other day. Um, unfortunately, I can't play the clip because it's going to get us yanked off of YouTube, but it is definitely worth the look. Uh, again, twitter.com slash Newton. check that out. It's pretty funny. Uh, incredible um, editing, I would say. Um, but speaking of that, as we were saying, this podcast is going to be heavy on two subjects. Number one, World Series. Number two, these indictments. Um, so the New York Times tweeted out on October 30th, um, so just yesterday, breaking news, Paul Manafort and Rick Gates were told to surrender to federal authorities. Um, but we'll get back to that. Uh, going to the NBA, uh, Rafer Alston, former Raptor, uh, has joined the Timberwolves as a scout, the league sources tell The Athletic. Um, so that's pretty exciting. Rafer Alston was uh, one of my favorite guards for the Raptors uh, during that you know Vince Carter era. Uh, so it's good to see him getting an opportunity to be a scout in the NBA, especially for a team like the Timberwolves, who I think are like on the cusp of doing something special. Um, with their youth. Uh, then there was this from Tim and Sid uh, going back to the World Series saying uh, it's been 84 years talking about how long that game was. <laughs> so I thought that was pretty good. A clip there from the Titanic. Um, there was this which CM Punk tweeted out. Uh, CM Punk tweeted this out based on somebody else's tweet, some random person uh, on Twitter. Uh, Bilal Muhammad uh, believe is a UFC fighter. Uh, to be honest, like I've been lately, I I've, I've kind of tuned out from the UFC. Um, I don't know. There's it just doesn't excite me as much. Um, so Bilal Muhammad apparently is a UFC fighter. I don't know. Uh, he tweeted out, "Baseball would be fun to watch if it wasn't so boring," and that was on the sixth of October. Uh, so then Bilal Muhammad tweeted out on October 30th, man, this game is crazy talking about the World Series. Uh, so CM Punk tweeted out, sometimes life comes at you fast. <laughs> so I thought that was pretty good. Uh, going back to the World Series again, uh, John Morosi tweeted out, the Astros lead for the first time tonight after four hours and nearly 300 combined pitches. Uh, then there was this video... Uh, from New Japan Pro Wrestling, which I thought was pretty good, especially with uh, Halloween coming up. Today's 
So proof that wrestling can still be silly. Um, that was pretty good with Aladdin, the genie, and Jasmine there, uh, Kenny Omega. Uh, so that was pretty funny. Uh, then there was this, which I thought was really interesting. Um, Palestine, uh, since 1947 to present, and basically just a map of Jewish settlements in white, Palestine in green. And you see over time uh, how much has been taken. Um, and, you know, for me, and I know this is a hot button topic, so I know there's controversy with saying this, but the truth is, is that I'm somebody who's actually kind of changed my opinion on this issue um, for the longest time until recently. And by recently, I mean probably the last couple of years, uh, I've been very much in favors, in favor, I should say, of uh, Israel, of, of the Jewish settlements. But if you're looking at a map like this, and you see the behavior of Netanyahu over time, which I think most people would agree is a bit extreme, um, I, I think it's not just me, I think the rest of the world has kind of started to rethink their views on this issue and I think this map really does a good job of showing just how crazy it's gotten um, you know and I know it's a hot button issue but just a couple of thoughts there when it comes to that issue um, when I was looking at Israel, I was also looking at just in terms of size, right? Because we were talking about the size of the Jewish settlement versus Palestine. If you're looking at the actual size of Israel, it compares to the size of New Jersey. So it's pretty small. And if you compare it to Lake Michigan, you could actually fit Israel inside of Lake Michigan. So again, relatively small. Uh, there was a good video on YouTube uh, showing 25-foot waves on Lake Michigan. Speaking of Lake Michigan, uh, this was from Chicago, Illinois. Uh, definitely check it out, twitter.com slash thejohndnewton. Um, and then probably the biggest thing out of these indictments from Mueller uh, was George Papadopoulos, who pleaded guilty to making false statements to FBI agents. Um, so, you know, where Trump is trying to tell everybody that, you know, there's smoke, but there's no smoking gun, that this isn't a real story. The real story is 
you know, what Hillary and Obama did with the nuclear deal. There seems to be a lot more smoke after this. Um, you know, why would the guy plead guilty if he wasn't guilty to lying to FBI agents? You know, there's, there's more to this that's going to come over time. And, you know, it was interesting, as we talked about in the last podcast, um, you know, the reasons for the indictments um, and basically how uh, Mueller's going to be using this to try and get more information for his investigation. So for where a lot of people are looking at this and they might be thinking, oh, you know, this might be the end. This really seems like it's just the beginning, um, you know, and, and this goes a long way for that. Um, speaking of politics, uh, John Boehner, who I'll be honest with you guys, my personal opinion of John Boehner when he was in office was not very favorable at all. Uh, I, I, I hated him with a passion. Um, but that being said, it's funny how sometimes, you know, the public persona and what you see of somebody in office isn't what they're truly, really like. Um, and I saw that for the first time when I was watching a Vice special uh, talking about how the government's broken and how somebody like Trump could get elected and basically like what Obama's administration was facing uh, throughout their, their run in office um, and the difficulties that Boehner had in particular trying to get anything done with his Republican uh, comrades, if you will. Um, and it really showed a more human side to this guy, and it showed uh, that this was a guy who, despite everybody's opinion of him, behind the scenes was actually, you know, in the office with Barack Obama trying to see what could be done, trying to get some things done which, you know, you look at the way politics is now, and nobody, I think, would say that, you know, a few years ago was ideal, but at least Boehner was there communicating with the president, trying to get things passed, some things, something passed, you know. Um, you don't really see that today, you know. And uh, Boehner uh, did an interview uh, where he said a lot of very, very interesting things that I wanted to share with you guys on the podcast. Uh, Boehner was saying on how historians will rate his speakership, they'll be talking about the end of the two-party system. Um, so pretty interesting thought there. And, you know, sometimes I feel like I can be, um, you know, not really an optimist, but a pessimist. That's a pretty pessimistic view right there from somebody who was in office. So that's probably makes it even scarier, really. Um, Paul Ryan was quoted saying, we basically run a coalition government without the efficiency of a parliamentary system. Um, and I think that would, true, would be true. You know, I, I think that the U.S. government now has become so broken. And again, I'll keep pointing to this um, you know, until something changes. But the Republican Party is in control of the White House, they're in control of the House of Representatives. They're in control of the Senate. You can argue that you know the way things are now, they've got control of the Supreme Court. So literally every branch of government, they've got control. They've got the majority in Congress. And you've got Paul Ryan, who's one of the leaders of the Republican Congress, the House of Representatives, the Speaker. 
saying that he runs a coalition government without the efficiency of a parliamentary system. So he's sitting there with a majority saying that this government is so broken, it's running like a coalition government, even though they have a majority. Um, and it doesn't have the same efficiency, really, as a coalition government. So basically putting it nicely, uh, the truth is, is, is that it's a, it's a party that is so shattered and has so many different divisions within it um, that it's not really a single party anymore and, and it's become so dysfunctional um, as you'll see in other quotes that I've pulled uh, to share with you guys um, so going deeper into the story uh, Trump himself is less a source of apprehension for top Republicans than what he represents a fracturing of the party and a corollary decline in its ability to govern. Uh, we basically run a coalition government without the efficiency of a parliamentary system, Ryan complains. Um, and again, like that, that, that's exactly the term, like fracturing of the party. Um, this party has so many divisions within it uh, that it's not truly a single party anymore. Um, John Boehner continued to have some good uh, quotes. He was saying there is no he stopped himself. Uh, the reporter said, you were about to say there is no Republican Party, and he shrugged. Uh, there are also many epic parts to the John Boehner profile, uh, but these deserve more eyes. Um, so some really good quotes there. I'm not going to read them all, uh, but you can definitely check them out at twitter.com slash Newtons. Very interesting reads, to say the least especially if you're into politics like I am. Uh, Boehner had some thoughts on Bernie Sanders. He said, he's the most honest guy who ran for president. He really believes all that crazy stuff he talks about. And John Boehner also said that he thinks that Joe Biden would have won if he ran in 2016. Um, my personal opinion is I don't think he would have, uh, but to each their own. My opinion is is that even if Joe Biden did run, the Democratic National Convention, the DNC, was so behind Hillary, and you saw that with the leaks. You saw that with what the emails were saying back and forth, basically blocking out Bernie Sanders so that Hillary could you know, become their candidate. Um, the same would have happened with uh, Joe Biden, you know. <coughs> And the other thing, too, is, you know, I don't know how much excitement there really would be for Joe Biden um, compared to somebody like Hillary. And Hillary already was a flawed candidate, so what would that make Joe Biden as a candidate? Um, you know, and you're hearing rumors now Joe Biden might be thinking of running in 2020. I think that would be a mistake. Um, honestly, with the Democratic Party... I think it would even be a mistake if Bernie Sanders tried to run again despite his popularity. Um, I, I think they really need to go in a new direction. Um, you know, I hope that new direction isn't somebody like Cory Booker. I just don't see him as being a, a serious um, candidate or like a serious uh, type of president that the country needs. Um, again, you know, I've said it before on this podcast, I think Gavin Newsom is the guy. Um, whether or not he runs in 2020 or he waits to 2024, I don't know. But I really do hope that he runs because I think that he's the kind of guy that could fix things um, for the U.S. But we'll see what happens. 
Uh, Boehner went on to say, some on the right would argue that Obama did more to divide the country than to unite it. It wasn't him. Um, and that's coming from Boehner. So, you know, again, like that was, that was like a piece of what I saw earlier in that vice bit with him is that you kind of saw like a more reasonable guy than who was portrayed in the media um, and, and the public persona of John Boehner. And, you know, obviously for him, you know, as a politician, you know, he's playing that side. He is the Republican and he's trying to get votes and he's trying to, you know, maintain, um, you know, the Republicans' belief in him as a Speaker of the House. But, um, you know, that is who that guy truly is and truly was, is he was a guy who was a little bit more reasonable than people gave him credit for. And that quote says that. Uh, Boehner talking about the Freedom Caucus in, in the House of Representatives, uh, they can tell you what they're for, uh, or excuse me, they can't tell you what they're for, I should say. Uh, if they could tell you what they're for, it would be a totally different situation right now. Uh, so they can't tell you what they're for, and I would agree with that. He goes on to say, they can tell you everything they're against. They're anarchists. They want total chaos, tear it all down and start over. That's where their mindset is. And I would agree with Boehner on that 100%. Um, you know, and that, that speaks to how broken the U.S. government is. When I find myself agreeing with John Boehner <laughs> over and over again with these quotes, um, I, I think that says speaks volumes about how broken the U.S. government is. You know, if you were to ask me two or three years ago, like, would I be agreeing with anything that John Boehner says? I would probably laugh at you. Um, but the truth is, is like, I think he's right on a lot of these issues, and this one is one of them as well. Uh, the Freedom Caucus, that Ted Cruz, you know, really far-right, wingnut part of the Republican Party, um, is exactly like that. Everything they're against, they're against Obamacare, for example. Well, what are you for? Crickets, you know? Um, they're really anarchists, exactly like what uh, Boehner's saying, and, you know, effective anarchists, really, because look at what the U.S. government's become, you know? Um, so Halloween's coming up, um, and I'm sure there will be a lot of different uh, Halloween costumes that I thought were cool that I'll be sharing on you know, maybe the next podcast, uh, but one of the ones that I saw uh, that I thought was really cool was uh, a Maple Leaf player, Nazem Kadri. Uh, dressing up like Bob Ross, the artist uh, from PBS, um, and I thought that that was pretty good. Uh, Seth Abramson tweeted out, this is an itemized list of every lie Sarah Huckabee Sanders told America on behalf of the president in her press briefing today, Thread, and Bernard, uh, Bernardo uh, DiGirolamo tweeted out, oh boy. Um, then the Miami Herald tweeted out a very interesting thing uh, they said that the Marlins are determined uh, to trim their payroll and they go so far as to say it's not just uh, Stanton that they're looking at moving, D. Gordon uh, Prado, so there's a lot of players on the Marlins team that could be on the move and I just hope that the Blue Jays uh, are focused on trying to see if they can get Stanton because with uh, Batista leaving, uh, I, I think that Stanton would be 
would be without question a franchise player that you could really build around, especially when you're not quite sure what's going to happen with Donaldson. You know, you're getting older with Tulowitzki and with Martin. Uh, you know, you're waiting for a couple of kids to come up when Vladdy Jr. and Bo Bichette. Um, you know, you, you need a younger franchise player that can, you can kind of build around as you're waiting for those other two to come up. Um, and Stanton would be, not just because of all the home runs he hit, he would be a huge home run for the Blue Jays if they could get him. Uh, but that remains to be seen. Uh, Uberfax tweeted out, You can estimate the temperature outside in degrees Fahrenheit by counting the number of cricket chirps in 15 seconds and adding 37. And I said, or you can check your iPhone. Because <laughs> the other one seems a bit crazy to me. Um, then I wish I could play this clip, but again, I know it would get us yanked off of YouTube. Um, I've been watching a lot of ESPN 30 for 30 documentaries, and if you've never seen them, I highly recommend them. Uh, they are so entertaining and just educational. And like, it, it sucks you in not just about the sport and the players and the coaches and everybody involved, but it, it, it kind of brings you back to that time in a lot of them. Um, and, and they're just so well done. Um, so ESPN 30 for 30, you know, I've been watching so many of them lately that I've actually been thinking of making the theme song uh, my ringtone. Um, and if you have watched ESPN 30 for 30 before, I think you know exactly what I mean. That very addictive start intro uh, to ESPN 30 for 30, um, really just like those keynotes uh, that started are, are highly addictive. Um, and it's just a really great uh, series that ESPN does. Um, so I thought I would mention that on the podcast. Um, then talking about Monday Night Raw last night, so uh, Stephanie McMahon came back and uh, she was saying that Kurt Angle will be leading Team Raw for Survivor Series, uh, so I was saying that Daniel Bryan just ran to ask Shane McMahon if he could be team captain for SmackDown. Um, then uh, they had Samoa Joe come back, and Booker T called him the ultimate prize fighter, and I was saying, does Kevin Owens know about that? Because that was actually what they used to call Kevin Owens. Um, so I don't know if Booker T's been watching the product as much as he should be because he should probably know better than that but you know it, it happened um wwe creative human was talking about uh, there was a lot of limos on monday night raw last night uh what is this nitro i thought that was pretty good um then adam schefter dropped a huge bomb on everybody for an nfl trade um and that usually nfl trades it's players that you barely know getting traded for draft picks uh, but this was a pretty big one uh, the 49ers uh, traded a 2018 second-round draft pick uh, for the Patriots' Jimmy Garoppolo quarterback. Uh, so, very big trade for a number of reasons. Number one, a lot of people believe that Garoppolo is going to be the quarterback for the 49ers going forward. Um, number two, the fact that the Patriots were willing to take a, just a second-round pick for Garoppolo when earlier at the draft they were saying that it would take a first-round pick to get him. Um, the other thing that was interesting about it is that it shows that the Patriots are now buying into the idea that Tom Brady could play 
well into his 40s. I don't know if that's such a smart idea. But, you know, they're the Patriots. They've won a lot of championships over the years, so they've got the right to tell everybody, you know, they don't really care what, what they think. Um, Adam Schefter also tweeted out, and I don't agree with him on this. He said, this now means that Kirk Cousins will have one less landing spot in free agency. There will be plenty of interest, but San Francisco is out. Uh, I said, aren't they going to wait to see how Garoppolo plays first? Um, I think it would be stupid if the 49ers just say, oh yeah, because we gave up a second round pick, Garoppolo is our guy. If it doesn't work out with Garoppolo, they would be fools not to be in on Kirk Cousins. Uh, then, uh, going back to Rod, going back to Samoa Joe, uh, at one point he was saying henceforth, and I was saying, man, like, this scripted shit has to end on Raw and SmackDown and wrestling in general. Just let the guys talk from the heart. You're going to get more of their character. Um, you know, this scripted stuff, like, henceforth, like, are you fucking serious? Like, next you're going to have Samoa Joe quoting Shakespeare? Like, it, it's ridiculous. Um, then I was watching also lots of stuff going on last night uh, again one of my favorite times of the year you've got the World Series you've got the NBA the NHL you know wrestling you know you've got all this stuff going on at the same time so last night very busy night for yours truly uh, one of the things uh, also Major League Soccer Major League Soccer uh, the MLS Cup playoffs and you know I was watching the TFC game I was happy as a TFC fan to see them win 2-1 to one. But even though I'm a TFC fan, uh, I was quickly growing tired of seeing all the flopping in the game. Like, people just down on the field, like, oh, I got hurt, and they didn't really get hurt. I thought it was ridiculous. Um, you know, like, that, to me, is one of the things that's killing interest in um, the NBA and soccer in general. I think the number of flops that take place are way too excessive, and I really wish that both of those leagues would step up and uh, fine players high amounts of money for flopping, that they would penalize the teams, um, go as far as you can to just like break that habit uh, just out of both of those sports because it's killing the game. You know, in the same way that in the NHL, you know, the hooking and, you know, the slapping of the sticks, like all of that was slowing down the game. You know, the NHL's done a, a pretty good job, I would say, of, like, cracking down on that, and it's brought a much faster game and a higher scoring game in the NHL. Um, you know, I think the NBA and Major League Soccer need to look at flopping as, like, a cancer and try to figure out a way to get it out of the game for both leagues. Um, then there was this tweet, uh, a live look at Kirk Cousins seeing... Uh, this Jimmy G trade and realizing he may be stuck in Washington forever. Uh, so I thought that was pretty funny. Um, then Tippy Toe uh, responded to me talking about flops in Major League Soccer, and I happened to tweet it when there was somebody that actually did get need in the groin for TFC. Uh, so uh, Tippy Toe was tweeting, uh, That wasn't a flop, it was a knee in the groin. I said, No, no, not that one, all the earlier ones. Uh, you know, there, there are legitimately injuries that happen, and that was one of them. But throughout that game, for especially the first 45 minutes, I was watching players dropping left and right, and nothing was going on. There was barely any contact, and I'm just like, what the fuck am I watching? Um, 
you know, and even as a TFC fan, I'm like, get the hell up, like, what the fuck are you doing? Um, you know, so that kind of kills interest when that happens. It's no different than when you watch the NBA and you see somebody like LeBron James trying to get calls, you know, flopping and pretending he got hit and stuff like that. Like, it kills your interest pretty quickly. Uh, then there was a clip uh, for Sean Hannity talking about the Manafort indictment. Um, and I had a lot of thoughts on it, so I did want to play this clip for you guys. I know it's Fox News, so bear with it. Uh, but I had a lot of comments on it, so it's worth pulling up if I can get it to work. Let's start at the beginning. It was announced today that Paul Manafort, well, something that was pretty much expected after his home was raided by the FBI, was indicted today. It's a 31-page indictment. It discussed charges, and we'll put it up on the side of the screen for you. Money laundering, failing to register as a foreign agent, tax crimes. But interestingly, because this is the special counsel that was supposed to investigate Trump, Russia, collusion, this indictment has nothing, let me repeat, nothing, to do with Trump-Russia collusion. Zip, zero, nada. The most spectacular finding within the Manafort indictment is this. In regards to the financial issues, the last year of any financial transaction was 2014. The years they were looking at was between 2008 and 2014. And as far as we know, Trump wasn't even thinking of running for president in 2014. So in other words, Nothing of the Paul Manafort indictment had anything to do with the Trump campaign or Donald Trump. Is this all Mueller has? Because if it is, it's pathetic. Another day, another example, after a year of speculation, no evidence of any collusion between President Trump and Russia. Now, you've heard the saying, we've all heard it, you can indict a ham sandwich. Well, grand juries are convened. Guess what? In case you don't know, only the prosecution gets to present evidence. The defense gets zero opportunity whatsoever to present their case. The legal standard before a grand jury is much lower. They must be convinced probable cause. Okay, but in a court of law, the criminal standard is a jury of your peers beyond a reasonable doubt, a massive distinction. And it's important to point out that this grand jury was impaneled in Washington, D.C., Let's see, one of the most liberal cities in America where over 90% of the people there voted for Hillary Clinton. Mr. Mueller, do you think that's fair? Now, here's what Paul Manafort's attorney said earlier today for the first time they speak out. Listen. That President Donald Trump was correct. There is no evidence that Mr. Manafort or the Trump campaign colluded with the Russian government. Today, you see an indictment brought by an office of special counsel that is using a very novel theory to prosecute Mr. Manafort regarding a FARA filing. The United States government has only used that offense six times since 1966 and only resulted in one conviction. Six times since 1966, one conviction. So like every American, Paul Manafort, he deserves what we all deserve, the presumption of innocence. However, he is being tried tonight and convicted in the court of public opinion by what is an abusively biased, Trump-hating media. Also, as part of the news that came out today, George Papadopoulos, he admitted, okay, he lied to the FBI. I think he's 29 years old. Now, I knew everybody in the Trump campaign. I never heard about Papadopoulos until today. And I think I knew everybody. 
Now, the White House says he was a volunteer, and it seems that Papadopoulos, on his own, was trying to create an anti-Clinton Russian dossier, like the Fusion GPS Hillary DNC President Obama-funded dossier, and he wasn't successful. So now that we have no Trump collusion, here's what we do have tonight. This is what the media will ignore. This is what matters. These are the facts. This is where the evidence comes in. What did, he, what did President Clinton, uh, or President Clinton wannabe, President Obama, and key members of the administration, what did they know about the Uranium One scandal? Now, we're learning about how the Obama administration officials, they knew in 2009 that Vladimir Putin was using bribes, extortion, kickbacks, money laundering, and racketeering all within this country, spies within this country. Nothing was done to stop it. We have incontrovertible evidence that all involved tried to cover this up. They put a gag order on the one FBI informant that knew everything to prevent the truth from getting out. Now it's getting out. We have incontrovertible evidence that the Clintons benefited in a massive, huge financial way because of this corrupt Uranium One deal. We know Bill Clinton doubled his speaking fees in Moscow while giving a speech to a bank that, interestingly enough, had a financial interest in Uranium One. Bill Clinton also tried to get State Department permission, his wife's State Department, to meet with Russian nuclear officials during the time of the Uranium One deal, and he eventually ended up sitting down with Vladimir Putin himself. And as the author, Peter Schweitzer, writes about in his best-selling book, Clinton Cash, the Clinton Foundation got $145 million in kickbacks from people that directly benefited from that deal. We have incontrovertible evidence that Putin and his spies and his thugs were actually successful because he eventually got 20% of America's uranium, the foundational material for nuclear weapons. This is beyond insanity and inexcusable. Hillary Clinton, Bill Clinton, the Obama administration allowed your national security to be compromised in what is an unprecedented way and few in the media will touch their story. Major crimes were committed, they knew about it, they did nothing before the deal. Now here's a simple question, we have to ask it. Why on earth would President Obama or Hillary or Eric Holder ever sign off on giving Russia a known enemy, Putin a bad actor, 20% control of our uranium? What did America get? What did Obama get from this uranium one deal? It never made sense. Now, we also have incontrovertible evidence that the Clinton campaign and the DNC, they paid Fusion GPS over $9 million, although nobody knows anything, and they hired a former British intelligence agent who then used current and former Russian government sources to produce this phony, fake, salacious news dossier that was full of lies, disinformation, and propaganda against Donald Trump. In other words, Clinton and the DNC funded the money to spread Russian lies and influence the election. They did it all because it is the very thing they're now accusing President Trump and his campaign of doing. They did it themselves. And we just found out this weekend, this new report from the Federals, the headline, Obama's campaign paid $972,000 to the law firm that secretly paid Fusion GPS in 2016. Well, the same firm that the Clinton campaign, the DNC, used to pay Fusion GPS to create the fake news propaganda anti-Trump dossier that they then regurgitated all over TV. Now, we also have Robert Mueller 
and his band of big Democratic donors that work for him now, supposedly investigating Trump-Russia collusion. And as I predicted right here on this show, there is still no evidence this ever happened. None. Now, former, current, and top Democrats have all said the same thing. Smoke, but no fire. Smoke, but no fire. Watch this. Have you seen anything that suggests any collusion between the Russians and the Trump campaign? Well, there's an awful lot of smoke there, let's put it that way. People that might have said they were involved, to what extent they were involved, to what extent the president might have known about these people or whatever. There's nothing there from that standpoint that we have seen directly linking uh, our president to any of that. The last time we spoke, Senator, I asked you if you had actually seen evidence of collusion between the Trump campaign and the Russians, and you said to me, and I'm quoting you now, you said, not at this time. Has anything changed since uh, we spoke last? Well, not No, it hasn't. I know we need to go soon, but just yes. to be clear, we haven't, there has been no actual evidence yet. No, it has not been. Okay. No, it has not been. At the time I left, I did not have, see any smoky gun certitude evidence of collusion. Is there any evidence of collusion that you have seen yet? Is there? There is a lot of smoke. We have no smoking gun at this point. No smoking gun. Tonight, still, no smoking gun. And your lying media in this country would have all of you believe the indictment of Paul Manafort and his associate, Rick Gates, has everything to do with Trump-Russia collusion. It has nothing to do with it. Here's the truth. Nothing. Now, none of that is related to President Trump. None of it. Zero is related to his campaign. And the vast majority of these allegations all happened before Paul Manafort ever worked for the Trump campaign. So, a lot to digest there uh, for Mr. Sean Hannity of Fox News. Um, I won't go into too much, although I did have a lot of takeaways from that. Number one, is this guy supposed to be an impartial news reporter or is he a defense attorney? Um, everything that's wrong with the news in America, in my opinion right now, you saw in that last nine minute clip there. Um, it's ridiculous that that can even be considered news. Um, you know, the guy's literally in front of a camera saying, here's the truth, nothing. As if that's supposed to be an argument of some kind. Um, and I hate to break it to Sean Hannity, but Donald Trump did plan on running for president before 2016. Um, and he went so far as to call Jesse Ventura to be his running mate. And get this, he was planning to run as a Democrat. Uh, so, you know, if you're working for a news organization, you would think that you would know that. But I guess not. Um, the other thing I would say is that, you know, you're, you're talking about the guy that pleaded guilty. And the best excuse that you have for that is, I don't know who that guy was. I think I know everybody that was in the administration. That's your best excuse. Um, you're, you're clearly sinking with that ship uh, because you're not being impartial. I think it's very stupid and very foolish for Fox News and Sean Hannity, but you know nobody would accuse him of being intelligent to begin with. Um, you know, the other thing was... What takeaway do you get from that? You know, 
Um, my biggest takeaway is that at best the Trump administration can't vet somebody properly and they're incompetent and that's at best and I also found it hilarious how he was pleading this case of how you know Trump and his administration and Manafort and everybody should just be considered innocent until proven guilty on one hand and then right after saying that saying but you know what Hillary Bill Clinton and Barack Obama they're guilty of what's going on with the nuclear deal which was approved by the government which was asked about it recently and said they would approve it if it were to happen again today um, so you know you're saying that you need to be proven guilty in a court of law and you're already saying that Hillary Barack and Bill Clinton are all guilty of this with the uranium deal right off the bat so you're, you're showing your hypocrisy in less than nine minutes a back-to-back basically good job is what I would say like <laughs> you're making it easy for people like me to point out your flaws of which there are many and I've only pointed out just a few of them uh, Brian Tashman caught on just as well he tweeted out Sean Lockerup Hannity attacks the media for portraying Manafort as guilty before he is convicted and that's exactly right you can't have it both ways um, to make it even more interesting uh, Carter Page <laughs> And you can't make this shit up. Carter Page said on MSNBC, I may have discussed Russia in emails with Papadopoulos. So, you know, things just continue to get worse uh, for the Trump administration here. Uh, Eliza Orleans tweeted out, Wow, Chris Hayes called him bold or reckless, saying, I genuinely hope you're innocent because you've been doing a lot of talking. Uh, Renato Mariotti tweeted out, uh, there are a lot of foolish people in federal prison right now. Carter Page might join that number at some point. He isn't helping himself. Uh, Chris Hayes tweeted out, tonight Carter Page will join me live on set to react to today's indictments and guilty plea, which of course he did. Uh, Ricky Davilia, uh tweeted out, the FBI will most definitely keep a record of every word he said. Carter Page's incompetence is helpful to us. And then, uh, going back to Monday Night Raw, I was watching the rest of it. I couldn't watch all of it last night. I went to bed, watched the rest of it today. Uh, I was saying, more Trick or Street fight matches, please. I thought it was hilarious. Um, the commentary made it even better to me. Uh, Michael Cole was saying, the candy corn is being unleashed. And Booker T said, candy corn? And Michael Cole said, it's a candy corn kendo stick, Booker. <laughs> It was so. It was probably one of the dumbest conversations I've ever heard on commentary on a Monday Night Raw. Um, it was. I was dying laughing. Um, and I will end with this. There was a clip uh, from the from the Miz uh, directed towards Baron Corbin, who is scheduled to face uh, at Survivor Series. Um, you know, definitely check it out. Twitter.com slash D John D Newton. Uh, I'm going to try to play it. If it doesn't work, you can check it out there. Um, you know, I want to thank everybody for watching the podcast, and we will see you guys on the next episode.